Let's turn over to the book of Galatians. Real quickly, for those of you that haven't been here, even if you have been here, you need to be refocused because I'm teaching everything in a, in a series. But I started teaching out of Ephesians chapter 1. We read verses 1 through 14. We focused on verse 7 where it says that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And I've been teaching on what redemption is. Redemption is the forgiveness of sins or the technical definition for it is the, uh, let's see, I got that written down somewhere. What did I do with that? Here, here's the technical definition. It says the releasing effect or liberation produced by the payment of a ransom. That's what the word redeem means. But in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says that redemption is the forgiveness of our sins. And we started talking about that one-third of our redemption is over. In the spirit realm, our spirit is completely redeemed. We aren't waiting on it to be redeemed. It's already redeemed. Then we went over to Hebrews and we studied Hebrews 9, 12, 15, Hebrews 10, 1 through 2, and Hebrews 10, 10, and 10, 14, and Hebrews 12, 23. We talked about how that your spirit has had all sins, past, present, and even future tense sins have been redeemed. Boy, that's radical. If you've missed any of this, you know, it doesn't do justice to say this because to most people, terms, religious terms, have just become um, cliches and we don't think about it. I spent a lot of time explaining that you have been forgiven of all sin. Sin is a non-issue with God. And I mean, the religious mind just goes tilt when you say that. Because the, basically the church today is emphasizing it's all about you got to live holy and you got to do all of these things for God to be able to use you. And so I was sharing about how that we have been redeemed from sin, past, present, and even future tense sin. Hebrews 9, 12 says we have eternal redemption, not momentary redemption till the next time you sin. And this begs the question, how could this be? Because the church has made such a terrible thing out of sin. I don't want to diminish sin any at all. Sin is terrible, but the atonement of Jesus is greater than all of the sin of the entire world. So last night we went over to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 and showed you the price that Jesus paid, how that His face was marred more than any person's face that has ever lived on this earth. His form was so disfigured that He didn't look human. We talked about these things, and I tell you, to me, this just, it changes everything. If you focus on how much God loves you, on the tremendous price that has been paid for you, if you focus on all of these kind of things, I tell you what, it just changes your attitude, it changes your relationship with God. The only thing that Satan ever had against us was our sin. He condemned us and made us feel unworthy and unfit. If you understand that through Christ we are now righteous and holy in His sight, well then, I tell you, Satan just, he hadn't got anything that can stick to you. You become like Teflon. Nothing sticks. All of his accusations, everything just falls off. Everything that Satan has ever done to destroy you was centered around sin and the condemnation and the guilt that it brought into your life. If you understand that you are eternally redeemed, and that sin is no longer a problem between you and God. I tell you what, it opens up a brand new realm, a brand new relationship with the Lord. So that's what we've talked about. But when you teach on this, here's an immediate problem. It comes up. 
people begin to say, well, what about this scripture? And what about that scripture that talks about that, man, God is angry at you and God is, is upset and, it, and the judgment and the examples of punishment and the way that he judged the nation of Israel and how he drove them into captivity and punished them for their sins and on and on and on and on and on you can go. The, if you don't understand this, you know what? There's a lot of people that will let Old Testament scriptures and examples of the wrath of God void everything I've said. Even though I've used so many scriptures and I've said all of this straight from scripture, people just let that um, overwhelm them. And they say this can't be because look at all of these scriptural examples. Well, look at Galatians chapter 3 right here. And I want to talk about today how in verse... Um, 13, Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is what I've been talking about, redemption. Redemption means the forgiveness of sins and not just momentary forgiveness of sins until the next time you sin, but eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12, you have been forgiven of all sins. Even the sins you haven't committed yet have already been forgiven and been dealt with. That's what redemption is. And this says that we have also been redeemed from the curse of the law. And there's not very many Christians that understand this. Most Christians believe that the only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is a blank page in your Bible. It's just like a distinguishing. <laughs> and they don't understand that very much. Most Christians, and I'm saying this, I know that this is a broad statement, but I believe it to be absolutely true. Most Christians live under the Old Testament mentality. They live not understanding and appreciate the new covenant realities. And what they do is try and mix the two together. You know, when Jesus was talking, I believe this is over in Matthew chapter 5, about where he says, you don't take new wine and put into an old wineskin because if you do that, an old wineskin is already stretched. It becomes brittle. And as you put new wine in there and it begins to ferment and swell, it'll burst the bottles and it'll break and the wine will run out. You know what he was talking about? This was an answer to criticism about why aren't you doing things according to the Old Testament law? How come you aren't observing all of the rituals and things that were done in the law? And his answer was that this is a new covenant. You can't put the new realities that he was bringing into the Old Testament. They're incompatible. The Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. Matter of fact, there, there's so many scriptures. There's hundreds of scriptures on this. I have trouble teaching it because... There's so many things I want to say. But over in Romans chapter 3, it says that the, this new covenant was witnessed by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament prophesied that there was something better coming. We're going to look at some scriptures this morning out of the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah prophesied and said, A new covenant I make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And he started talking about this new covenant that you and I live under. The old covenant wasn't wrong. It was just not complete. It was incomplete and it only dealt with things up to a point. And God brought in a new covenant through Jesus that is totally voided and has totally redeemed us from that old covenant of law. And if you still have the old covenant mentality that I've got to do this and then God will do this in response to me, 
You can't operate in the new covenant. That's not the way the new covenant operates. The new covenant isn't based on your performance and your holiness and your adherence to a set of rules and principles. And by and large, the church has missed this. By and large, the church is now preaching. Instead of preaching that you have to keep the feast and that you have to be circumcised and that you have to do this and the Sabbath and all of these things, we've just changed the rituals to where now you've got to go to church and you've got to pay your tithes and you've got to study the Word and you've got to live holy and you've got to do this and this and this in order for God to do that. It's the same Old Testament mentality. It's the same destination. It's just... Like, you know, you're going down a road, you just get out of one car and get into another, but you're headed to the same place. You're traveling the same road. And that's what most Christians have done. Now, most people, like for instance, circumcision. The whole book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul against what he called the Judaizers, people who came into the Gentiles. The Galatians were Gentile people who got born again. And Paul told them that through faith in Jesus, they were now the people of God. They had relationship with God. Their sins were forgiven and he didn't put them under any Jewish rituals, no Jewish customs, no Jewish laws whatsoever. But the church back in Jerusalem heard that the Gentiles had become Christians and so they sent people down to Galatia to check them out and see if Paul was telling them that they could have a relationship with God without keeping the Sabbath and without being circumcised and without doing all this. And you know, there's some things in there. It's it's a little bit personal, but Paul said this in Galatians over here in chapter 2. He says, They came in secretly to spy out our liberty whether we were circumcising these people. You know what that means? They were in the loo. They were looking under the stalls. They were checking to see if these guys were circumcised. The things that people will do in the name of religion. It's pretty ungodly. And yet that's what they do. They were spying to see what was happening. And they tried to get these people back under the Jewish law. And Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And he was brutal brutal with this, saying, if anybody, anybody, even an angel preaches something to you other than what I've said, let him be accursed. Did you know that these Judaizers were coming in and using Old Testament scriptures? They used the scriptures about you've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to do this. You've got to do these things. They were quoting scripture, but they were quoting Old Testament scripture, not understanding that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And things are happening just like this today. There, most churches today are using the Word to condemn people and to beat people and to tell you why God won't bless you and why you are offensive to God. But they're using Old Testament Scriptures forgetting the point that we have been redeemed from that law and that we are now redeemed from all sin, past, present, and future. And they are preaching the Old Testament law. While I'm at it, if I hadn't upset you yet, this probably will. But you know what? We have a movement in the body of Christ today where people are trying to go back and get Gentile Christians to start being Jewish and start going back and wearing the prayer shawls and observing the Sabbath and observing the feast and doing all of these things. It's the modern-day Judaizers who are saying that you are better off if you understand these things and become Jews. The Apostle Paul would hit the roof today just like he did in his day over those things. That's wrong. There is zero, uh, I hope this isn't too subtle for you, zero 
zero benefit to you becoming a Jew and becoming Jewish in your attitudes. That usually goes over about like that. So he says, let's just read a few of these verses. In verse 8, this is Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, 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 I said heathen. He would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. See, the Jews interpreted it since Abraham was the beginning of the Jewish nation, that this meant that to be a Jew, you were blessed, that you were God's people. This whole book, and especially this chapter, is showing that in Abraham and his seed were the blessings. And it makes a major point out of saying in verse 16 that this was to his seed, singular, not plural, seed, singular, Christ. And then the last verse of the third chapter down here in verse 29, it says, And if you be Christ, apostrophe S, if you belong to Christ, possessive, then are you Abraham's seed, singular. You are the promised seed. If you are born again, you are the true Jew. This is not saying that Jews don't have a special place. There are some physical promises to that nation. I guarantee you, when they drafted me to go into battle, I considered being a conscientious objector because I didn't want to kill anybody. But after reading the scripture, I said, you know what? I believe that it is a godly thing to fight and defend your nation. So I went ahead. But I told them, I said, if you draft me and send me against Israel, I'll defect. I'm not fighting (laughs) the nation of Israel. Whoever blesses Israel is blessed and whoever curses them is cursed. I'm not going to be participating. I believe that there are physical benefits to the nation of Israel. I am not saying that they are just you know, totally outside of the realm of God's blessing. There is physical benefits, but we are the true Jews. I know that's offensive to people. Let me just keep your finger there and listen to this scripture out of Romans chapter 2. Now, this isn't going to satisfy some people, but there's a lot of people that aren't satisfied with what the Word says anyway. So they aren't going to let the Word get in the way of what they believe. Look in Romans chapter 2. It says, therefore, verse 26. Well, let's see. Let me drop down to verse 28. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. It says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. Pretty strong scripture. You know who's a Jew? I'm a Jew. Not by blood in natural things, but by the blood of Jesus. I am a true child of God. I am a part of the nation of God. If you are born again, you are God's chosen people. The Jews have some things that are still, as the physical descendants that are still happening, and God brought them back and has put them into the nation. And I tell you, you can learn a lot. There's a lot of prophecy about the Jewish nation, but we are the true people of God. Thank you for that thunderous silence. And so it says in verse 8 that he would justify the heathen through faith 
he preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. If you have faith in Christ, you are blessed with Abraham, not through the law. You haven't kept all of the law. It's amazing to me. People, if they really want to live in the old covenant, then you can't just pick and choose. You can't do it partially. If you really are going to live by the old covenant, if you believe you've got to keep the law and you've got to do these things, well then why are you wearing a garment that is more than one material? If you wear anything with cotton and polyester in it, you have broken the law and you're worthy to be judged. You're supposed to have a fringe around your garment. You're supposed to have a phylactery hanging from your head where the word is hanging down in front of your eyes. You are supposed to count how many steps you walk on a Sabbath. Did you know that the Essens, the group of people that raised John the Baptist, the ones that wrote the Dead Sea Scroll and lived around the Dead Sea, those people actually interpreted the law where you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath, that it was against the law to have a bowel movement. They killed people if you went to the bathroom on the Sabbath. If you're going to believe the law, believe it. How can you pick and choose? How many of you observed the last new moon and offered the appropriate sacrifice? How many of you observed the last feast day? How many of you gave a redemption for your firstborn male and killed an animal? Most people, we don't do that. Well, if you don't do that, then you're breaking the law. Oh, well, we don't have to keep the law when it's convenient. These things that you don't want to do. But other laws you got to keep. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to do this. You know, I'm way off target from where I thought I was going, but let me show you a passage of Scripture over here in Colossians chapter 2. Look at this. Look in Colossians chapter 2. In verse 12, it says, We are buried with Him in baptism, talking about in Christ, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised us from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's talking to Gentiles, Gentile believers, hath He quickened together with Him, with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses. It's amazing how people just skip over this and think, well, that means all of the trespasses that were in the past up until I got born again. But now that you're born again, every time you sin, you've got to confess it and get it back under the blood. If you've studied and followed what I was saying out of Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 12, you realize that it's all sins, past, present, and the future. All sins, eternal redemption. Man, this is a real clear reference that He forgave you of all sins. All of your sins are gone. Sin is not a question between you and God. In verse 14, notice it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. That's talking about the Old Testament law. All of the laws, all of the rituals, everything that you had to do. He nailed the law to the cross. Goes along with Galatians 3.12. You are redeemed from the curse of the law. In verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Well, that's a great verse, but I don't want to teach on that. But that's powerful. In verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. 
which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. It says all of these Old Testament laws concerning meat and drink. You know what this is talking about? There were certain meats that you could eat and certain meats that you couldn't eat. The ones that we're pretty well aware of are pork. It was against the Jewish law to eat pork. Did you know that Paul made such a deal out of this? I mean, in the book of Romans, uh, many places, Corinthians, he talked about this. And over in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 4, I believe it was, he says, if anybody preaches that you can't eat meat, it's a doctrine of the devil. There's people in the name of the Lord preaching today that you're supposed to be vegetarians. It's the doctrine of the devil. Amen. They preach that all you can eat is twigs and berries and sticks. That's not food. That's what food eats. Amen. (laughs) You know, this says, don't let anybody judge you in what you eat. In meat or in drink. Did you know that there were certain drink offerings? There were certain things that you could drink and couldn't drink. Did you know it was also against the law to eat shellfish? Shrimp, oysters, anything like that. All that stuff is of the devil. If you're going to live under the law, why would you violate just portions of it and say, well, I believe you still got to do these things, but we're free to... No, either you observe it or you don't observe it. You can't pick and choose and just take portions of it. It's hypocritical the way that most of us really live. If you're going to be under the law, be under the law. You know, when I got really turned on to the Lord, I was taught when I was young to be under the law. And when I got really turned on to the Lord, man, I got serious about it. I wouldn't buy anything from a store that was open on Sunday, which is funny because Sunday's not even the Sabbath. But I wouldn't buy anything from a store that was open on Sunday, not on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. If, if they were open on Sunday, I wouldn't buy from them during the week. I drove an extra hour out of my way to go to church on Sunday because I wouldn't drive on a toll road and pay somebody toll. I wouldn't go out to eat at a restaurant on Sunday because I was helping those people work and break the Sabbath. Some of you think, well, I... But yet you still believe that you're supposed to be a Sabbath keeper, but you just do it in a small way. If you're going to believe in the Sabbath, believe in it. If you're going to be legalistic, be legalistic. It's inconsistent. So it says that you have to observe certain meat things. You can't eat any, you can't eat any uh, shellfish, anything like that. You can't eat any pork. You can't eat your food raw, rare. You have to cook all the blood out of it. If you're going to live by the law, live by it. You have to drink certain things. Most of us don't even know about what those were, but they were in the Old Testament law. It says also holy days. Did you know that there were uh, feasts that you had to have? How many of you kept the last Passover, the last uh, Feast of Tabernacles? How many of you keep all of those things? If you're going to live under the law, live under the law. Don't be a hypocrite. And it goes on to say, or of the new moon. Did you know you had to offer a sacrifice every new moon? How many of you offered a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, last new moon? How many of you even know when the last new moon was? (laughs) See, most people would sit there and say, well, I resent your attitude. We don't have to keep these dietary laws. We aren't under those feast days. We don't have to offer sacrifices on the new moon. I agree. 
But look at the next thing. It says, or of the Sabbath days. Now see, most people will say, well, we aren't under the dietary laws. We don't have to observe these feasts. We don't have to offer a sacrifice for the new moon. But you do have to keep the Sabbath. They're all listed right here together. And in verse 17, it says these things are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Every one of these things had a picture, a shadow, a symbolism that is now a reality in Christ. I can teach on every one of these. I'm not going to take time to do it. The Sabbath was a picture of the New Testament born-again experience. And that's exactly what all of Hebrews chapter 4 is devoted to, is talking about a Sabbath rest. Did you know if you are keeping a certain day and not going to certain things, not mowing your lawn, not doing certain things because it's the Sabbath, you aren't keeping the Sabbath. Those were pictures of a relationship that is now a reality in Christ. You are a Sabbath breaker if you're taking off Sunday and thinking you're honoring God. Or even if you're a Sabbath worshiper where you worship from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday and you think that you're keeping the Sabbath, you're dishonoring God by doing that. That was an Old Testament picture. Now you've got the reality. Why would you stick with the picture, the shadow? You know, it's like if this was the corner of a building right here, and if you were over there, and if I was over here, if you couldn't see me because of the building, but if you could see my shadow, my shadow could give you information about me, whether I'm standing still, whether I'm moving towards you, whether I'm moving away from you. It could show you whether I'm crouching down or standing up. You could learn something by a shadow if that's all you've got. But if I walk around the corner of the building, and if I'm in full view... You would be crazy to run up and fall down and hug my shadow. That shadow gives you some things about me, but it's not me. Old Testament things, these sacrifices and all of the things in the Old Testament were pictures, shadows of something that is a New Testament reality. But we've got New Testament people thinking that by taking off and not working on a certain day that you are a Sabbath keeper. You're hugging the shadow. You've missed Jesus. The Sabbath was a picture of a relationship with God. And if you're a legalist believing that you've got to do all of these things and follow all of these things and dot the I's and cross the T's, you are missing the whole purpose of the Sabbath. So somebody's saying, what's the Sabbath? I got a tape entitled Our Sabbath Rest. <laughs> I hadn't got time to teach on that. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Now let me show you some other scriptures on this. Hebrews is a great book written to show people to get away from the Old Testament mentality of all these sacrifices and all of the things you've done wrong and you've got to change and appease an angry God and it's trying to get us away from this by showing us that the Old Testament law has been fulfilled and we now have a superior covenant, a superior relationship with God. Wish they had time to teach through the whole book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 7... He begins to start making the point that Jesus is now our high priest. There's a number of scriptures that talk about that. But Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi, which the law, the Old Testament law, prescribed that to be a high priest you had to be a Levite and you had to be of the house of Aaron. And Jesus wasn't a Levite and of the house of Aaron. And so... He didn't fulfill the Old Testament priesthood in that respect. There is a different priesthood So there has to be a change in the law is the point that he's making. Look at some of these scriptures in Hebrews chapter 7. 
In verse 11, it says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, then what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity also a change. I mean, there is of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things is spoken, talking about Jesus, pertained to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there should arise another priest. What he's talking about is Psalms 110 prophesied this. Keep your finger here. Let me just read this to you in Psalms 110. I know for some of you I'm getting a little technical. and People say, you're making me think. How dare you? You come to church and have to think. You want to be entertained. Let's shout. Let's run. Glory to God. Uh, and let's not do anything that would make you have to use your brain for something besides a hat rack. Look at this in Psalms 100. It says, um, excuse me, is that right? must be 110. I think it's 110. Psalms 110. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's quoted a couple of times in the New Testament and applied to Jesus. Matter of fact, we used the verse yesterday, Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it's verse 11 or 12. It quoted this verse, applied it to Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. It's a prophetic psalm. In verse 2, The Lord shall send the rod of thy uh, strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the scripture that is being quoted from. And it was talking about the Messiah. He would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you had time, we could turn over to Genesis 14. Melchizedek was the king and the high priest of Jerusalem. When Abraham came back from killing these people who had taken Lot captive, he he won a battle And Melchizedek came out and blessed him and gave him bread and wine. And Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And anyway, for time's sake, let me just summarize some of this. But he, uh, the writer of Hebrews makes a point out of this. That you pay tithes to the person who has greater authority in the kingdom than you. You don't pay tithes to yourself. You give tithes to the church. You give tithes to minister, people who have been set over you, and you pay tithes to them. And he makes a point in Hebrews chapter 7 that for Abraham to have paid tithes to Melchizedek shows that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. And then Melchizedek also blessed Abraham. And he says down here in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 7, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So Melchizedek was better than Abraham. Melchizedek had a greater priesthood than the Aaronic priesthood because it existed before. And that's the point that he's making. And so Jesus wasn't a priest through the law. He was a priest based on this promise from Psalms 110 verse 4. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he says, if the priesthood is changed, 
then the whole law has to change. The whole law was based on the priesthood being out of the tribe of Levi, and Jesus was not from there. So that's another confirmation that the entire Old Testament law, the way everything was done, it's now been superseded. It's fulfilled, and we aren't living under the old covenant law. Amen. That's the whole point that's being made in Hebrews chapter 7. So in Hebrews chapter 8, let me read a few of these verses to you. In verse 1, it says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. In other words, here he is summarizing the book of Hebrews up to this point. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. And then he talks about how priest, Jesus is a better priest than than the Old Testament priest. Let's go down into verse uh, 7. For if that first covenant... Now pay attention to this. I don't know how people can read this and still continue down the road and down the path that we've all been brought up in. This is just opposite. Listen to this. It says, For if the first covenant, the law, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But finding fault with them, he saith. And now he begins to quote from Jeremiah chapter 31. This was prophesied in the Old Testament that there was coming an end to the law. It says, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I brought them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. This is talking about the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses. Because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. There was nothing wrong with the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was perfect. The standards presented there, the laws, the standard of morality was perfect. The thing that was wrong with the law was that it, we are imperfect. So the law didn't fail. It's us that couldn't keep the law. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant because they couldn't continue in this covenant. They couldn't live up to it. And so I had to make a new covenant with them. We've got something better. In verse 10 it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Again, we are the house of Israel. This isn't limited to Jews. This is talking about the people who are the seed of Abraham. Galatians 3. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Did you know this has been misinterpreted and misapplied grossly? There are people that teach that every single, they teach this, that every single Jew is going to be born again and be God's people. This is talking about this new covenant and what it's saying is when you don't have to teach people, say, know the Lord for all shall know me. What this is saying is that every person who gets born again and receives relationship with God, you don't have to have a priest standing there ministering for you and teaching you about the things of God, but you will know God personally for yourself. You will all, every born-again believer has a direct line to God. You don't have to have somebody stand there with their collar turned around backwards to intercede between you and God. You can go directly into the very throne room of God. That's what this is talking about. And in verse 12, look at this. Here it goes on to say, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities 
will I remember no more. There's not one out of a 10,000 churches today. There's not one out of 10,000 churches today that'll tell you that God's merciful to you when you're unrighteous. And your sins and iniquities, He'll remember no more. Basically, they're saying, boy, if you sin, God's wrath is coming on you. Most people see God as an angry man with a long beard, with a lightning bolt in the hand, leaning over the banister of heaven and saying, I dare you. Get out of line and see what I'll do. Bam! Here's the wrath of God. He judges you. That's That's the image of God that's been presented. It's wrong. The new covenant, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. And your sins and iniquities while I remember no more. In verse 13, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant is not for us today. Now does this mean that we throw away the Old Testament? You know, I probably spend more time reading the Old Testament than I do the New Testament. You you do have to read it in the light of the redemption that we have. But the standards that are there are still right. Like if you are... Here's the way that you do it. If, If you're a businessman and say, for instance, they're wanting you to lie about your product. They're wanting you to misrepresent it so that you can look better in presenting your product than your competitor over here. Did you know that God loves you regardless of what you do? You are saved, you're redeemed, all of your sins are forgiven, and that doesn't fluctuate, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so in your spirit, God is a spirit, He looks at you in the spirit, you are going to be in right standing with God whether you lie about that product or not. But if you're truly born again, you want to live for God. You want to represent Him properly. You want to live godly. And so you say, God, what would you have me to do? My boss is telling me I should lie and misrepresent. What would you have me to do? You can turn back to the Old Testament law. And what were the standards? See, even though we aren't living under that and we aren't going to be punished and cursed, there was a curse that went along for breaking every law. I'm not under the curse. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law being made a curse for me. But does that mean I throw those standards away? No. If I want to know, what would God have done? Well, here's His perfect standard. He says, thou shalt not bear false witness. He didn't just say, you shall not lie. Maybe you could say, well, I didn't say anything that wasn't true, but you left out facts that misrepresented and made your product look better. And that somebody asked you, well, what about the competitors? What did they do? You only told them one portion. You didn't really... It's not that you just out and out lied. You just bore false witness. You can go back to Exodus chapter 20 and say, you know what? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Even though I'm not under that covenant and I'm not under the law, I know that this is God's perfect standard. And to represent Him, that's not the way that He would want me to be. And so you still learn from it. You can still benefit from the Old Testament law if you understand it. But man, to try and live under it, you can't live under the law. Man, there's so many scriptures to use on this. Let me just use another verse out of Galatians chapter 3. This is where I meant to go originally. In verse 11, it says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. That's a quotation from the Old Testament law prophesying that nobody could ever be set free through the law, and it wasn't intended to set you free. Boy, here's opening up a whole new train of thought that I hadn't got time. Maybe tonight I'll go into some of these things and explain it. 
But the law wasn't given to set you free from sin, but to let sin destroy you. It was actually given to beat you down and condemn you and kill you. Most people think, no way. Yes way. I'm going to show you scriptures that will show you that and prove this from scripture. No man was justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident that the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. What a strong scripture. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Did you know that it is sin to try and live by the law, keeping rules and regulations so that you can obtain God's blessing? If you're trying to live with that mindset, you are in sin. Strong statement, but that's exactly... The law is not a faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Strong statements. The man that doeth them shall live in them. You know, that's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 27. Verse 27, I believe it is. That's a strong statement. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Boy, there is so much in those verses. You know, I've only got a few minutes. Uh, Let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And let me just illustrate something here. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I hadn't even come close to covering all the things I wanted to do. So I'll I'll continue this tonight. And I encourage you to come back because I know the things I'm saying are radical and they're different and some people just reject it. But I'm using Scripture. Man, if you believe the Scripture, I don't know why this is so hard. It's just... Contrary to our traditions, and the Bible says traditions and doctrine of men make the word of God of none effect. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's back up into verse 20, chapter 27. Chapter 27, he was, this is Moses speaking, and he was prophesying that when the children of Israel entered into the promised land, and once they had defeated the people, and once they inhabited the land, then he split the group the nation into two groups. One sat on Mount Gerizim and the other sat on Mount Ebal. And half of the people would read the blessings that would come upon you if you would keep the law. The others read the curses. There was more curses than there was blessings. And he, he listed all of these things. And then the very last verse of the 27th chapter, here's what they had to say. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of the law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. See, most people who believe that you're supposed to live by the law, they they will acknowledge and agree that, you know what, nobody can keep the law perfectly. We all fall short. And so what they do is say, just do the best you can. And when you do fall, ask forgiveness. But the Bible says, if you miss one single thing, You've broken them all. That's what it says. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things of the law. If I had time today to go through the laws that were given in the Old Testament, I could make every person in here recognize you I have broken the law. And you break it on a regular basis. 
You're breaking the law sitting there today in the way that you dress and things like this. There were rituals about all of this. And so you can't just pick and choose and say, well, I do the best I can and then I depend on the mercy of God to make up the difference. It's either mercy or it's law, but not a combination of the two. That's what it says over in James chapter 2, verse 10. If you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of them all. You may have never murdered, committed adultery, lied, stolen, done, but you know what? If you've ever been jealous, if you've been selfish, if you don't love God with all of your heart, if you haven't studied the Word properly, if you haven't written the Word on the doorpost of your house, if you haven't put it on your gate, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you broke the law. So you're guilty of murder. You're guilty of homosexuality, whether you've ever done it or not. Man, if people understood the law, nobody would live under it. But they just pick and choose and try and do it. So look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all His commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. If you've been around very long, you've probably heard somebody preach on this passage of Scripture and say that, you know, it lists verses 1 through 14 are the blessings that will come upon you if you keep the law. You'll be blessed in your basket and in your store, blessed when you go out, blessed when you come in. You'll be above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. You'll lend unto many nations, but you'll never have to borrow. Your enemy will come out against you one way and flee seven ways. All of these blessings, most people have heard about this And what they'll do is say, if you haven't got these blessings working in your life, the problem is you haven't hearkened diligently enough. What you need to do is instead of praying 30 minutes a day, pray an hour a day. Instead of reading a chapter a day, read five chapters a day. Go to church more often. Be more zealous. Be holy. But look at this. It says, you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of your Lord Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments. All of the commandments, not most of them, not as many as you can, not do the best that you can. And if you hit a certain level, God grades on a curve and you'll pass. (laughs) No, you have to make a hundred on this test. Ninety nine is failing. If you don't do them all, then look down here in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. If you're much of a mathematician, you could figure this out. That verses 1 through 14 list the blessings. Verses 15 through 68 list the curses. There's a lot more curses than there are blessings. And you get cursed if you don't do it all. If you aren't perfect. It's not do the best you can and God will have mercy on you. This is law. And yet I can guarantee you most people have this mentality that, oh God, now I know why I'm not blessed. I haven't hearkened diligently. I haven't observed. Oh, And I'm gonna, I promise you I'm going to start praying two hours a day instead of one hour a day. And you're on this treadmill trying to earn the blessings of God. You know how a New Testament believer who's been redeemed from the curse of the law, you can't get any more literal fulfillment of the curse of the law than Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68. They are the curses. 
Mildew is listed as a curse. (laughs) High winds are a curse. An itch is a curse. The botch is a curse. And on and on it lists all these things. All sickness, all disease is a curse. We've been redeemed from this. Here's the way that the New Testament believers should read this. That it is coming to pass since Jesus hearkened diligently and fulfilled the law and now He has given me His righteousness. I have been redeemed from verses 15 through 68. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I'll never have a botch, the itch, the mildew, a curse. And now all of the blessings of Abraham and the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 are coming on me because I put faith in Jesus, not based on my holiness. Amen. Boy, if you approach things that way, the Christian life just works awesome. But if you read this, oh man, I've got to do all of these things I've been praying an hour a day and I still am sick. I still got a problem. I'm going to go to two hours a day. Then you'll have to go to three hours a day. There is no end. You can't ever earn the blessing of God. And yet most people, if you read this without me guiding you through this, most people when you read this come under a sense of condemnation. Now I know why God hadn't blessed me. You don't understand that you're redeemed from the Old Testament law. The word redeem means the liberating effect that's procured by the payment of a ransom. Did you know that in the Old Testament law, because the Lord led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and He killed all the firstborn, He sent the death angel over, but everybody who put blood on the door, He saved their firstborn? Because of that, when they came out, Moses said under the inspiration of God, that you have to redeem every firstborn of man and of beast. If you had a firstborn of any animal, the firstborn had to be sacrificed. Or you had to take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb in exchange for that animal. And with children, every firstborn male, you had to offer a lamb sacrifice because God said, I spared your children so all of the firstborn are mine. And he says, every time you have a firstborn male, you have to redeem them. You have to offer this sacrifice. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that Jesus gave his life to redeem us. Just in the same way that if you hadn't have offered a sacrifice, then you had to kill the animal. Then you know what? God offered that sacrifice and because of that, once that sacrifice was made, that animal was free to live. It was redeemed and it would never be held against it. But if you didn't redeem it, you had to break the neck of that animal. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. We are now no longer under that law. We aren't under all of these rituals and under all of these things. Paul said the Jews couldn't keep the law. It was a yoke around their neck. Their fathers couldn't keep it. We couldn't keep it. And yet the church today, I don't understand exactly how this happened other than it's inspired by the devil. The church today is living under the law concept and preaching that you've got to keep these rituals and do all of these things to be right with God. They're preaching performance instead of faith. And because of it, 
many of us, we believe God exists, believe He can do anything, but we doubt His willingness to do it because the law condemns us. We know we don't deserve it, and we are under the concept that we have to be worthy to have God move in our life. And that's voiding the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Man, that's not right. And God's got something better for us. Amen? You have had a lamb slain for you and you are now redeemed. You aren't under that law. They don't have to break your neck. You don't have to break your neck trying to keep all the rules and the regulations. You've had a sacrifice made for you and we just ought to enter in and enjoy our freedom. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I went through a lot of things quickly tonight. I'm going to continue along these lines. So if this has confused you, come back. (laughs) There really is nothing confusing about what I've said. What I've said is not confusing unless you are so steeped in the Old Testament law that you just, this is just messing with your brain. It would be easy to embrace this if all you did was just have this new covenant mentality. But the Gentiles, the Gentiles have been put under the Old Testament Jewish law. The church has tried to make us Jews. And that's not right. Paul fought against this. That's what the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, the book of Hebrews was all written about. And yet today it's... It's just as uh, prevalent as it was when Paul wrote those books and tried to turn people from it. Man, we need a revelation of we're redeemed from the law. Let me ask you today if there's anybody here who's not born again. Today I've talked about what salvation is and how we've been redeemed from this. And maybe you've had a stumbling block because you thought, I can't be good enough. I could never live up. I just love sin. And I could never do this. Well, let me tell you that when you... Turn your heart over to the Lord. I was talking to this lady up here this morning. She just got born again four years ago. And she said, she's just changed. She didn't realize it was going to make that big of a difference in her life. But she's changed. She's just totally changed. It revolutionized her. You know, here, it's kind of a trick. When it comes to being born again, you know, you don't have to give up everything. You don't have to give up drinking, smoking, all that stuff. You don't go to hell for smoking. You smell like you've been there, but you don't go to hell. <laughs> smoking. So I can tell you, come to the Lord and get saved. You don't have to give up anything, but it's a trick because when you get born again, you get changed and God, you become a new creature. And all of a sudden now you don't want to do things that are hindering you and hurting you. And so you will change, but change is a byproduct, not a way to relationship with God. So if you've been saying that maybe I just couldn't ever live up to this, so I'm not even going to try. You know what, today I encourage you to come realizing that it's just faith in Jesus, accepting your salvation. If you'll do that, God will accept you regardless of how you fail. That's good news.